I made the coffee because I was here at seven. <laughs> I was here at seven fifteen this morning, so it's angry coffee. <laughs> so if it's okay, <laughs> nice way to go. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new or newer, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Uversion. It's just like that. Uh, and in this app, what you, what you do with this app is it gives you all the verses, the sermon notes, the questions on the back of the sermon notes that we're going through. Now, uh, we have had some problems with Uversion. Sometimes the verses don't come up in order. It's not our fault. We put it in just like they say, we do it, we do it right, and then on their end, something just goes haywire. But they had an update this week, so hopefully you have downloaded the update and everything will come up right and it won't be horrible. I also want to show you this. These are our handouts this morning. See, it kind of look like this. Now, we pride ourselves on our graphics, and I know this looks like bad. This is what it's actually supposed to look like. See? Ah, our printer was donated to, our copier was donated to us. If you want to donate it as a full color one, awesome. <laughs> Until then, you get that. That's all I'm saying. Why don't you stand there reading God's word? This is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask as a people that we would be discerning, that we would have your guidance to understand how you have spoken and worked into the world and that you come into the common places of our lives and call everything that we do to be holy. Amen. Have a seat. So if this is your first time or first time in a while, you've just missed the last six weeks through one of the most depressing books in the Bible called Lamentations. I know you're all sad that you missed it. Not one service left at that. I, can't, I don't know why. It's crazy. Lamentations for us, it was like this birthing process coming into uh, this whole day of resurrection and joy. It's, it's going through and looking at our lives and what God has done and what he calls us into. It's like a, like a cocoon. It's like where we come out on the other side and it brings us joy and hope into a place of listening. And so if you are new or newer this morning, what I'm going to try and do is help you understand the entire framework of sermons and preaching and why we do church the way that we do. It's a high goal for 30 minutes, but I'm a professional, so you just got to go with me. If you have been here through Lamentations, hopefully this will also take on much more meaning to you as well. If you missed any of the series, you can go online and get it, ourelement.org. They're all free. Now, have you ever gone to a church and you sat through a sermon or heard a message and you got to the end and you're like, I have no idea what this guy is even talking about. Anybody? Yeah, it happens to me too. It's kind of, so I do research before I talk to you guys about stuff. And as I'm researching, I came across this guy. His name is J. Preston Ebby. Because if you put an initial in front of your name, it makes you sound really smart. You know, like J. Lo or P. Diddy. It's like, wow, just the most brilliant people on the planet. Anyway, so he says in a message. Now, imagine hearing me preach this to you. And so he says this literally in one of his messages. He says... The first Adam is said to be the first man. The last Adam is declared to be the second man. If the second man is also the last Adam, he is also the last man. Now, the first Adam is the first man. It would of necessity follow that there were no men on the earth before him, for he was the first. And if the last Adam is the second man, then there were no men on earth between the first Adam and the second Adam. For the last Adam is the second man, and there can be no men between the first man and the second man. There's even one other man between the first man and the second man. Obviously, the second man cannot be the second man. Since the second man is also the last man, there cannot have been any men since him. If there has followed him, then he is not the last man. So then the first man is the first man. The second 
man is the second man, and the second man is the last man, so there have only been two men who have ever lived upon the entire planet. And you're like, what? First service, we had uh, this little girl with mom, and she goes, I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> and like, that, that's actually the point. I mean, you hear something like this, and we're thoroughly confused. Have you ever talked to somebody who speaks all religious talk, and they're, they're th- totally convinced of their simplicity and their clarity, and you're just like, like in a fog or red- rhetoric, and you have no idea what's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. That is not why we gather. Okay? That is not why we gather. But why do we gather in this place? You know, once a week, maybe for some of you once a year, however that works out for you. Uh, today, since I have you here, I want to explain this idea, hopefully pull you out of the fog of rhetoric that you're in, understand why we gather, why Easter as a celebration is so important to Christians. Now, one of the chief aims of Scripture and church and doing what we do is actually to make the all-powerful God of all creation more understandable. In order to do that, I'm going to have you open your Bible to Exodus chapter 25. You're like, really? Exodus? Yes. I, I have faith that you guys can handle all this. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, what God is doing is He is giving instructions on building the temple or the tabernacle. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 8, it says this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. For this, Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So early in the story, God shows up and he says, Make me a house, a holy place. I will dwell there with you. For 15 chapters, he goes on and explains how to build this house and what it's supposed to look like. Go to Exodus 28, three chapters to your right. That's this hand. After Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Have Aaron your brother, that's Moses' brother, not me. Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. So there's a specific way they're supposed to build God's house, and then there are special people who wear special garments. And it goes on for verse after verse of how to make these garments. Chapter 28, verse 29 says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place. So in this temple, there will be places that are holier than other places. So let me show you how this kind of works. Throughout the Old Testament, God's Spirit is seen as living or running water. So this is like the presence of God. Okay? And then God says, build me a house. So they build him a house. And they said, but there's going to be places in this that are holier than other places. So certain people can only go to certain places, and other people get to go to other places, and maybe almost everybody else can go to this place. So it kind of looks like that. Now, there are also special people wearing special garments. It's kind of look like that. Yes, if you were here the last time the mannequin was out, he is clothed. The pants will not come off. <laughs> he's, he's, he's good to go. <laughs> he's good to go. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 29, verse 5. And it says this, Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, which is already on him. You're welcome. The robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. So, I got all these things put together so it doesn't, doesn't take forever to do this. But here you go. Now, originally, okay, originally these would have been stones. Kimberly Terrell actually did it for me, so, you know, the, the hippie priest as it is. And then, just like you and I, you know, wear a belt, ties ensemble together, so the woven waistband, we, we would call this a belt. Bam, Project Runway. I got hooked on it last season. 
I watched the whole thing. I know. I'm, I'm very manly. Leave me alone. All right? Okay, so, so what next? Okay, well, how about hats? Chapter 29, verse 6. Put the turban on his head and attach a sacred diadem to the turban. Okay, so he's got a, he's got a hat. See, if this is our culture, it'd be like, dude. So here we go. Okay, so he's, so he's got a hat. He's got a hat. Uh, so you got temple, clothes, belt, breast piece, hat. What else you got? Chapter 29, verse 31. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. Now, this would be really weird to do in church, so just let your imagination have this. I'm not going to start barbecuing up here. So you have sacred garments, sacred emblems, sacred hats, sacred belts, sacred people, sacred places, and sacred places to cook as well. Verse 33 in chapter 29, they are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for the ordination and consecration, but no one else may eat them because they are sacred. Sacred. Now, go to uh, chapter 30, verse 25. It talks about some herbs, and it has one more thing in this. And it says, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be a sacred anointing oil. So there's also special cologne. <laughs> you ever taste it when you... Yeah, okay. So, so he's got special cologne. Now the Hebrew word for sacred is the word kodesh. Everybody say kodesh. Good. Now, Kodesh means holy, consecrated, set apart. It's mean it's, it's different than everything else. It's distinguished from the other. These are my clothes and your clothes, but then there are these clothes. There is my house, and then there's your house, but then there is this house. There is my belt and your belt, and then there's that very stylish hippie belt. You know, there's my hat and your hat, and then there is that hat, and there's, and there's my cologne and, and your cologne. And then there's this cologne. It smells really good up here right now, by the way. Anybody smell that front row? You got it? I know. I got myself in the eye, too. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Now, the next book in the Bible is called Leviticus. So I know you haven't memorized, but turn to Leviticus anyway. Chapter 10, verse 9. And this is an explanation for all of these sacred things that are listed, houses and clothes and food and hats and belts and oil. This is what it says. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy, the sacred, and the common, between the unclean and the clean. So it's so that we can distinguish between these two. Now, here's a big phrase for you. The differentiation of physical space. It means that you have the common, and then you have the build me a temple so that there is space other than regular space. So there's a place where we live our lives. This is the common, but now there's a sacred place that's apart from the average and the ordinary and the everyday. And this place is holy. And actually in that, there's actually gradients of holiness. There's like holy, holier, holiest, holy of holies. Two realms to distinguish between unclean, clean, common, sacred. Okay? One realm is for everyone. This is the common. And then there's a select few who get to wear the sacred garments, the sacred hats, the sacred emblems. They get to wear the sacred belts, eat sacred food. Actually, they have sacred utensils, but it has no arms, so I couldn't stick utensils on its arms. And they get to offer sacred gifts in sacred places. Two realms Leviticus tells you to distinguish between. Now, the actual title of today's message, if you care, is The Prophet of the Profane. Now, when you hear the word profane, we automatically think of certain words that give certain movies, certain ratings, so certain people can't go see it without a parent or a guardian, right? Now, the word profane in Greek is the word babylos. Everybody say babylos. It's kind of a cool word, babylos. 
It literally means in its roots to cross the threshold. To profane something is to take something sacred and cross the threshold with it and make it and treat it as common. Here's the biggest one in our day. is probably sexuality, dignity of human beings. God reserves something for marriage, something sacred, and people simply take it and then they kick it around in the dirt with no commitment attached to it. They profane it, shacking up. This is something that profanes the sacred thing. In the ancient world, they saw the distinction between these two realms. Do we still see that today? Of course we do. You have, if you went to church to like high church, you would go in and it would look like this. Now your robes and everything. This is how we do church. <laughs> uh, if, if you were to go to a Hollywood red carpet movie premiere, it would look like this. And sometimes that happens in a movie theater too. Uh, and then this is what it looks like when we go see a movie. Now, some of us, you know, we, we can, if you're very lucky, maybe one day you get to go and have a state dinner with the queen, it would look like this. And then there is dinner that you and I and your buddies go out to, and it looks like this. Right? There's a differentiation of physical space. We still do this. One realm is for everyone, and then there is the realm that's sacred and different. So what does Jesus do with this understanding of reality, of a special set apart space and then the rest of our lives with the special occupations and tasks and calling than, than the rest of our lives or certain places you can only say certain things because you can't say it over there because it's not right over there does jesus uphold and affirm this understanding for the reasons we do does he uphold and affirm it because maybe he sees it differently or does he uphold and affirm it at all now if you have a bible open to matthew chapter 12 this is key to understanding jesus message in Matthew chapter 12, it starts off, and there's another thing that goes in the sacred common thing. There's a sacred day. They would call this the Sabbath. This is the, the sacred day. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So it starts, boom, sacred day, something's coming. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And here you get to see the central job of religion. It's to keep this split worldview intact in a very irrational way. We have codes, we have rules. You don't break them, we're coming after you. Verse 3, He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He entered the house of God, the sacred holy place, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, the sacred food, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests, the sacred people. Or haven't you read in the law, the sacred book? Now the Pharisees were experts in the law. When Jesus says, haven't you read? That's like a dig. This is like eight mile, right? And it's like the rap battle. And Jesus says, haven't you read? And everybody's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> Just like that. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple, the sacred holy place, is here. Now, Jewish consciousness is shaped by their understanding of these two realms. The temple, the proper place, the center. This is Jerusalem. An entire system grew up around this about what was common and what was not. There is a center as to where God is in the world, and it's in Jerusalem. That is how they centered reality. Jesus shows up and he says, one greater than the temple is here. Now, easy question. Who's he talking about? Himself. Exactly. So, so who gets to call what is sacred and who is common? Well, Jesus does. Who calls what is in and what is out? Jesus does. Who gets the right to judge? That's Jesus. There's something going on greater than the temple. Now, open your Bible to John chapter 2. 
John chapter 2, Jesus is now talking about, he uses volatile language here actually, he's now talking about their, their sacred holy place on the most holiest of days, talking about the holiest of things, and turns this all about himself. John chapter 2, starting verse 18, it is right after Jesus chases the money changers out of the temple, and it says, Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show to prove your authority to do this? You just ran some way that we made money off, so give us a miracle, we will feel better. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, the sacred holy place, and I will raise it again in three days. I'm like, what? The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body, because he is one greater than the temple. And it took him a while to realize this. Verse 22, After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they're like, Oh, we get it. Resurrection, Easter, it all makes sense. So you have common and ordinary, blood, paycheck, life, work, sex, cars, laughing freely. Then you have the holy, God, church, Bible, cookies, communion, prayer, the, the holy things, right? Here you conduct yourself a certain way, over here you don't. In one place you say, oh, you can't say that joke here. Over here you say, tell me that joke again, it was really funny. Jesus says, one greater than the temple is here. And then he says, destroy this temple, which is interesting because 40 years after his resurrection, the temple was destroyed. And he says, and I will rebuild it. So he associates himself with the temple as one greater than the temple. And the whole old thing is going to pass away. It's going to be raised up again with his own death and his resurrection. It's very interesting how he does this. Now go to Matthew chapter 27. But leave your finger in John 2. We'll come back to that. And we're going to pull it all together. Trust me, you'll be like, oh, you'll have it all. In Matthew chapter 27, he gives a detail surrounding Jesus' death. Now, in a view that holds to this whole differentiation of physical space, there are the gradients of holiness. You and I as Gentiles would kind of be stuck out here in the nosebleed section. We'd sit in the parking lot. We couldn't go inside. Okay, but then you have good Jews, and they got to kind of go inside to the, to the first layer. And then the priests could kind of go in here to the second layer. And then right here, only the high priest once a year could go in here to God's presence. Hello. Okay. Now in the front of this, right here, there would be a huge curtain that hung over this that would separate this from everything else. So the high priest could actually go in there once a year. Now in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse, verse 50, what he's doing is helping you to understand the difference between the, the sacred, more sacred, more sacred, most sacred, holy, 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 most holy place about jesus death chapter 27 verse 50 starts like this when jesus had cried out again in a loud voice he gave up his spirit he died at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom now jesus is a jewish writer writing to a jewish audience they are familiar with the arrangement of this temple the temple guards people from entering the most holy place for their own safety the curtain that veil that separates that from everybody else was torn in two top to bottom meaning god is the one who did it later writers of scripture will tell you that we you and i now have access to be able to go into this most holy place we can go into the presence of god but what does it also tell you about the presence of god tells you that God's presence has gone out. Every service does that. <gasps> the presence of God is no longer stuck there. It is gone out into the world. It goes both ways. Through Jesus, there is new access to God. God is more alive and active in the world than we can ever imagine. Now, now look at how the first believers spoke about this. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? 
This is a monumental shift in people's thinking about reality. Sacred, common, unclean, clean, holy, everyday things. But with Jesus, the whole thing crashes down together into new reality where the holy is now found in the common. God's spirit lives in you. The sacred passes the threshold and now lives in the everyday. God's spirit lives in you. There is what we see, but there's so much more that we can't see. Now, when I started, I talked about the point of a sermon, a message. Well, part of it is gathering to glorify Christ. It is all about Jesus. But in glorifying Jesus, we become more and more aware of what he is doing in the common and how he calls our entire lives to be holy lives. Many religions, they will get together and they will talk and affirm what sets them apart from everybody else, our split worldview. But we are called to be those who glorify Christ, not just in holy places, but in the common places, every place, because Christ has gone out. Now, the scripture will tell you that he's gone out to the least of these. These are the people that you don't like, you wouldn't spend time with. He has gone to those people. Everything becomes sacred. A sermon in lifting up Christ should expose us to more and more of who Christ is and what he is doing in the common, because there is no common. And if a sermon doesn't do that, it's not Christian no matter how many verses from Scripture it quotes. And when I say Christian, I do not refer to a political party or set of ideologies. If you are a Christian, it means you are growing more and more into a heightened awareness of what God has done for you by living and dying and raising from the dead and changing the whole order of things. And it should get harder and harder for you and I to create labels for other people of stupid or idiot or left-wing or right-wing or elephant or, or donkey. Because those are people that Jesus died and rose for as well. And we have no idea how God intends to have you speak intelligibly into their common. That is one of the points of the resurrection. As Jesus grows is into the people to understand that everyone is an image bearer of God. Everyone has dignity and worth because they are made in the image of God. And we should find it harder and harder to create these categories of us versus them. Because you will have encounters with what the scriptures call the least of these. They will typically include your enemies and those people you don't like. And you will have to begin to learn how Jesus wants to take and speak intelligibly into their common through you. Now go back to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 20, says, The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Herod had been working on it for 46 years. It took another 20 after this to finish it. He says, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. It's like, you want to see a miracle? Destroy the place where God dwells because he is one that is greater than the temple. And they say, what? God dwells here in this holy place. He doesn't touch the normal humanity, dirtiness. No, God's all here. For years, bricklayers and artisans and locals and priests and foreigners have all been working on this place. And you're going to raise it in three days? Jesus actually says, I am greater than the temple. And if, and if you want to see a miracle, you kill me and I will come back. And I'll show you what authority from God that I have. Now for you and I, as we speak intelligibly into the common, that is the only place of real authority that we have. Jesus' death and his resurrection. Those are the things that we get to talk about. Jesus says the temple you have built, the animals you have killed, the blood that you have shed is all now unnecessary. It all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The temple is the place where sin was atoned for. That's now in Jesus. The temple is the place where people come and worship God. That's now in Jesus. The temple is the place where the priest intercedes for people. That is now in Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus says you have wasted your time thinking the temple can do for you only what I can accomplish. You want to see a miracle? 
kill me and God will raise me up. And they do and God does. This interaction in the book of John takes place over Passover, the holiest time of the years for the Jews. And Jesus confronts them because they went to temple, to church that morning on the holiest day of the year and they forgot about God's call in their life. And may we not be a people that do that. Why do we gather? And lifting up Christ together, it is good on a regular basis to be reminded how Christ, we enter into God and God steps over the threshold into the commonplace of the human heart. And one of my jobs for you is to do everything I can to heighten your awareness of Christ in the common. Because if you are a believer, that means that God has promised, 1 Corinthians 3, that he now lives in you. I want to end this by referring you to Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis 28, there's a story of a guy. His name is Jacob. He's been through a lot of stuff in his life. He's a lot of death, a lot of running, a lot of cows, mandrakes, wives. Crazy story. You know, starts off as a wimp, ends as a godly guy. In Genesis 28, he starts to sleep for the night and he has a dream. Now, some dreams are from God, not all. I would say most are not, okay? When it involves my, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Beetle, some jumper cables and frozen yogurt, I don't jump out of bed to write it down, okay? Sometimes it's just the chili and you're gassy. And that's how it works, not everything. But he has a dream, and this is God trying to talk to him. At Genesis 28, 12, and 13, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It's like heaven, wow, angels, wow, it's amazing. Jacob doesn't learn about God through speculation like he's watching Oprah. He learns about it through revelation, that God reveals stuff to him. And the most important revelation is verse 13 about who God is. It says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. Not one of them. I am the God. There is a God and it is not you. One God. The, fa- the, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. In verse 16, Jacob wakes up and it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. What does it mean to grow? What does it mean to become a disciple of Jesus? It means that many times in our lives, after we have gone through some terrible stuff, we've lamented, we've grown, we've had joy, and we look back and we see that Jesus was there in the midst of of all of it. He has always been there. Maybe one of the definitions for faith is simply waking up. Because what we do is we have our lives and we live them and we pay our bills and water our lawn and maybe you get stuck like me and you have to eat low cholesterol cookies but you celebrate that pandas open on Betteravia and there's new flavors at Jamba Juice and you take out the trash and then you sit in construction traffic and you feed your dog and you, and you go to work and you sit in more construction traffic and you answer your email and you do more work and you go home and you sit in more construction traffic and then you set one special day aside, maybe a week or maybe a year, depending on when you go to church, and, and you leave your common life for that little bit of time. It is so easy to develop that mentality. Jacob wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God is working all the time in the common. Do we gather here to hear me spout off? Do we gather so we say, Oh, I did my time, or I thought he was better last week, or something like that? It we gather together to listen with the assumption, expectation, and hope that we will hear and see something and God will wake us up more and more in our lives so we begin to see all of our lives as holy. I mean, really the point is, do we gather to find God or is it the point that God has been finding us, seeking us in what we see as the common and helping us to realize that everything is sacred. And then we then, as His hands and feet, go out to live in the world around us so that God is now seen everywhere else because of his people. See, God pursued Jacob. It is not the other way around. 
This is the pattern of Scripture. God pursues. Jacob's not looking for God. God's looking for Jacob. The Bible said he is seeking worshipers. No one seeks God. This is where we get words like predestination or election. These are theological words for these stories. You are hopeless till God finds you, tugs at your heart, tracks you down. God doesn't give you a ladder and say, climb like crazy, hell's hot, and the ladder's covered with grease. Good luck. He doesn't do that. Jacob wasn't seeking God. God was seeking him. This is what we call grace. God initiates. Jacob responds to the initiation. And if God hadn't initiated, Jacob would have been lost forever. And the beautiful picture is a ladder that comes down into the common. And God promises that nothing ever has to be the same again. This is the beauty of Jesus. He humbles himself as a man, steps into the common to us crosses the threshold of humanity, lives a sinless life, dies for us, rises from the dead, and he is the prophet of the profane. See, you and I are invited to see all of God's work in the world as sacred, that your life is sacred to him. And my prayer is that as you leave this place, that you would begin to understand that God is doing a work in the world, and he intends to do it through you and I as his people the divine living in and through you. This morning, we invite you to communion because communion reminds us of this union in the common, of where we are. That's why we take that cracker and we break it like his body was broken for us. We dip it in the wine and the grape juice remind us of his blood that was shed for us. But it goes to resurrection where, yes, living in us, Christ in us, goes out and changes the entire world that we come into contact with because he now intends to live through you and I. The band's going to come up, do a couple songs, and as they do, you're invited to take a couple moments and maybe think about where you've separated your life between holy and common and how God intends to put all of those things back together. John's going to move the creepy mannequin out of the way. This thing has been in my office like for a month, and every time I, I'm like, ah, every time I go in, because it, it looks like a person in the project runway sort of sense. We invite you guys to prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you have lived your life in a way where you just see everything as common, then you should go and pray with them. They would love to introduce you to who Jesus Christ is because your life does not have to be the same. It can be completely different. And God can begin to live and work in and through you to touch the entire world around you. There are offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So we give that opportunity every single week. We worship God through fellowship. Uh, we weren't actually bringing food this morning. We usually have food every week in the back, but usually Easter, it's so full. It's just like locusts, just right through. So we didn't have any bring any food, but some people felt guilty for you, and they left you some M&Ms. <laughs> Go, whoever brought the M&Ms. Low calorie, low cholesterol, chocolate. Kind of works there. Uh, there is some coffee in the back. And, and the, one of the reasons that we do this and we talk about worshiping God through fellowship is that you and I were never intended to do this alone. We were intended to do this in community with other believers. This is why in the back, every week we have a sign-up for people who want to get involved in community groups, in the gospel community, because you guys need to be in groups with other believers helping you to walk forward because we stumble and fall so much on our own. And we forget that, that our lives are sacred and we start to think about them just as common. And when you're with other people, it's very hard to forget that because they will help spur you on to who God calls you to be. So we invite you to do that. Guys, remember... How your life is lived outside of these doors is much more important than how you live inside these walls. God wants to take the holy out there by what he has done in here with you and I. Let's pray.
Father, we want to thank you for sending your son to be a sacrifice for us so that our sins, all the things that separate us, us from each other and us from you has been paid for and taken away and that we can now be renewed with great hope. I ask that we would be people who stop making a distinction about certain parts of our lives and other parts of our lives and that we would understand that that how we love our spouses and how we love our kids and, and how we love our neighbors and how we love our friends and how we drive and how we mow the lawn and how we eat and, and what we say and, and all that we do is all worship to you. You would change our perception of the differentiation of physical space so that we would see all that you long to do and what so many people consider the common. Father, we thank you for making it possible for us to be a people who enter the most holy place, a people who get to stand in your presence through nothing that we have done, but through everything that you have done. And I ask that as we leave this place, that you would renew relationships, You would renew the bonds of people and you, and you would remind us how to live holy lives in what people consider the common, and that we would never again start to believe that life is just common, and that we would see it all as holy and sacred. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.